A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If I bleed tonight, if I am sad tonight, I don't Everybody, welcome back to the Power Slam podcast here on Inside the Ropes. This is episode number two. Um, I know that you're expecting us to talk about the fallout from Backlash uh, and all that good stuff, but uh, this is a pre-recorded episode between Finn and myself. But next week we will be covering all of the uh, Backlash fallout and Extreme Rules uh, predictions. But Finn, we're here to talk a little bit about some of the big stories from the past kind of 20, 25 years in wrestling. Um, it's good to have you back again. I didn't run you off the first week. That's good. Good stuff. <laughs> I'm glad to be back again. And as I said in last week's podcast, you know, we are going to be talking about some historical stuff as well. And I think it's nice to have a, you know, a blend there of new and old, you know, which you and I, Kenny, we, we're capable of doing that. We are. We're old enough to, to, to have gotten through that. Like, it's funny, like, one of the things about being like 32 is I got to lived through the early 90s stuff and the late 90s stuff which is good 
um, I'm glad I got to live through both of them. You got to work through both of them. That, so. That's right. Yeah. Well, I'm 47. I'm not. I'm not bothered about people knowing how old I am. Uh, so uh, yeah, I started watching wrestling in American wrestling in 1988. Uh, I always remember the first match I ever saw was, and this was the match that really made me a fan of American wrestling, was Strike Force versus Demolition at WrestleMania 4. And I remember a lot of us got together and watched that, and I was like, wow. And I'd seen wrestling before, American wrestling before, in like Rocky 3, obviously the Hogan, uh, or rather Thunderlips versus uh, Rocky Scrap, and I'd seen it in mm-hmm. uh, the beginning of the first Highlander. Have you ever seen that, Kenny? I have, I have, yeah, yeah. Yeah, first Highlander yeah. with the, yeah, the fabulous Freebirds there, and... You know, Hogan had uh, made appearances in the A-Team, uh, which is, uh, you know, you've got to be my age really to remember that. But I'm sure people have heard of the A-Team. Uh, so I'd seen little snippets and obviously Paradise Alley as well. Have you ever seen Paradise Alley, Kenny? I've not seen Paradise Alley. I, I was with your A-Team. I used to have an A-Team tent when I was a wee guy. So I remember the A-Team, but Paradise Valley, what was that? Paradise Alley. Uh, oh, Paradise that was, Alley. Uh, it was a Sylvester Stallone movie. And it was about wrestling, and uh, Terry Funk was like the lead villain in it. Uh, and it's actually, it, I, it's a long time since I've seen it, uh, but it's probably better than some of the movies. Like Body Slam was like a famously bad mid eighties mm-hmm. wrestling film that was really terrible. Uh, is, but, is Paradise Alley worth checking out? Well, I, I think it's it probably is just to see the old timers taking all the bumps and stuff. I think like Dick Murdoch was in it and people like that. Um, but I mean, it wasn't like, it's not a movie that's remembered as fondly as, as Rocky. Uh, it was more mm-hmm. like a wrestling, uh, based movie, but I think it is worth checking out. Yeah. Another, another wrestling movie that I remember as well. And this is one that no one ever talks about. Uh, was the California Dolls. Have you ever seen that one? I've, I've not. <laughs> who's, who's in that? Who's in that? Well, it's got, um, Peter Falks in it. Uh, it was right. Columbo and it's about a women's tag team. Uh, and it's a long time since I've seen this one as well. Uh, and that was pretty good, you know. And they were like talking about th- uh, 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 they were talking about themes like taking dr- uh, drug use and injuries and stuff like that. And maybe the film now, if I were to watch it today, I would think it was garbage. But I remember when I watched it, thinking it was actually pretty good. So, uh, so I, yeah, I, I, I'd watched wrestling before I became a proper fan in 1988. But that was when I was hooked. 88, and then started Superstars Wrestling January of 1992, and then Power Slam came along in July of 1994. I mean, I feel like if we're gonna, we, we can't skip past wrestling movies without mentioning one of the greatest wrestling movies of all time, a very underrated piece of cinema, No Holds Barred, is just <laughs> one of the best films I've ever seen. To this day, it makes me cackle every single time. Now, I want to ask you very quickly, I know this is quite off topic, but now, have you seen any of the snippets of the script Pandemonium on the life of Vince McMahon? No, I have not. I mean, I've I've heard that this is this is apparently going to happen, well, I, but it almost strikes me as like as like you know they've been talking for years about doing the Benoit movie, which never happened. Yeah. Well, apparently Vince has bought the rights to it, so it'll never be made. Ah, and I'm, so... I'm, I'm about to read you a small snippet from it, which I think will make you understand why it would never be made. This is so basically. I mean, I'm dying to get hold of the full script, and I'm doing everything in my power of contacts to try and get it because it's so good. But like, the the person, the guy, I think the guy's name who wrote the the screenplay was Craig A. Williams or something, and I think he did a live action version of something called Underdog or something, which is like an old anyway. I don't know something, but he um, 
he seems to know who people are, you know, because, like, Vern Gagne's in it, Vince Senior, and I think it kicks off in the 70s at, like, an NWA meeting or something like that. Right. And, um, so he seems to have a grasp of who everyone is, but then, like, that's kind of where the realism ends. And there's this scene which just tickles me, and it's between Gorilla Monsoon and Linda McMahon. Right. And it's in the early 80s, so it must be the time where Vince Jr. was considering who to go with between Backlund and Hogan. Okay. He, he's thinking about it. This is how it was scripted in the, uh, in, in the script for Vince McMahon's movie. Gorilla Monsoon says, if you, if you two had a nickel for every person you've promised riches to, we'd all be fucking rich. Cuts to Linda McMahon. This is Linda McMahon who says this. She turns to Gorilla Monsoon and says, and I quote, Look, Backlund's a nice guy, alright? He's like the guy a girl might lose her virginity to. But Hogan, he's the guy that makes a girl think, yeah, okay, let's try some butt stuff. And that opens us up to a whole new audience. Uh, well, I, mean, I, I don't really know what to make of that. Can uh, you imagine how good that movie would be? In terms of how terrible it would be. It's, it, and I'm, that's just the tip of the iceberg. It's so good. Um, but uh, that just made me think of it. You were talking about wrestling movies, and <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's exceptional. Um, yeah, there's, there's mean, suddenly, a... suddenly body slam with Dirk Benedict seems pretty good. <laughs> yeah, no, it probably does. There's also a scene where Jesse Ventura has a fight with Jake the Snake Roberts in the locker room over stealing his makeup. Re- really? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Atrocious, <laughs> atrocious. Anyway, um, I'm just, you know... I, I mean, I, I mean, there is an amazing movie to do on Vince. But oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. There is obviously an incredible movie to do on him, but I mean, I don't know who would write it. I mean, who really... Know? You would have to seek so many different opinions from people. And, you know, Vince, as everyone knows, is such a divisive figure. That's the word we hear all the time. Um, that um, lots of people can't stand him and lots of people worship the ground he walks on. So it's very hard to get a balanced viewpoint of him. I think that there's an am- amazing biopic to be done on Vince. Absolutely incredible. Um, but, I mean, that script there doesn't sound like it would be the outstanding biopic that I envisage someone do on Vince McMahon, I have to say, Kenny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, so, but, but let's let's talk about uh, some of the kind of big stories the last twenty five years. So you start Superstars of Wrestling in January of ninety two, and that's kind of the time where um, it, I think when you watch it back now, Hulk Hogan seems to really sort of lose his interest in what he's doing around late ninety one. Like he just seems a bit bored yes. with what he's doing, and and that's somewhat the time where Ric Flair had come in from WCW the real world's champion and all that sort of stuff so we, and we have the Royal Rumble 92 still thought of as one of the most famous Royal Rumbles of all time absolutely um, what are your memories of that time you know because you're starting the magazine here and, and and this is all going on what was the what was the kind of uh, fan reaction at the time of all this going on it was I mean it was very exciting time for me uh, I mean you know I, I was 20 just turned 22 at the time um, so I was still a huge fan of it um, I mean I'd only been I mean been less than four years since I'd really discovered 
American wrestling. So as I explained in pro wrestling through the power slam years, there was a lot I still didn't know. Uh, you know. So it was uh, doing that first magazine was a real struggle for me. Uh, but I mean, I was offered the magazine. Do you want to write it? Yes, of course I do. You weren't going to turn down an opportunity like that. And the confidence of ignorance pretty much carried me through for, well, quite a few years. And probably some people would probably say a few decades. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was an exciting time to watch wrestling uh, because WWF was so huge. I mean, at this point, there was fewer Sky Channels, obviously, um, and WWF wrestling was still, I mean, it had been like basically a cornerstone of the Sky system when Sky was launched with just with four channels a few years earlier. Um, so wrestling was still a huge, huge part of the Sky uh, broadcasting system. So it really, you know, there was a lot of live specials back then. I mean, there was a famous Battle Royal at the Royal Albert Hall, which David Boy Smith had won. Tuesday uh, in Texas. Tuesday, in, well, Tuesday in Texas was a pay-per-view. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, Royal, uh, and there was the, the Battle Royal from the Royal Albert Hall. That had been like a Sky TV special, but Sky would actually do TV specials at the time when WWF was over here doing tours. So it was still a huge priority for Sky. I mean, it still is now, of course. But back then, I think it was more important to Sky than it is today. Because obviously Sky's now got so many more channels and so many more different types of sports and entertainments and what have you. So it was a different time. Um, But it felt huge. Royal Rumble 1992 felt huge. I mean, uh, Jack Tunney, the then WWF president, on-screen president, he didn't have any real power, of course. He'd vacated the title after the Survivor Series and this Tuesday in Texas uh, matches. You know, we'd had the controversial finishes in the Undertaker versus Hulk Hogan matches at Survivor Series and then at this Tuesday in Texas. So the title had been declared vacant and it would go to the winner of the Royal Rumble. So it seemed absolutely enormous. And of course, it was Ric Flair's night. Um, I mean, Ric Flair had, I'm sure many people listening to this uh, have either read Flair's autobiography or seen shoot interviews with Flair or read the stories of how. Uh, Flair had just felt belittled by WCW, and that was why he left. He just get, had to get out of there. Uh, he just hated being in WCW, so he joined WWF uh, a few months later, um, and then Vince had given him the title in January of 1992, which was, I think it was only, what was that, like, was that four or five months after he'd made his debut? I think Flair made his debut in August mm-hmm. of, of, uh, of um, 1991, and then he won the title at the Royal Rumble in January of 1992. So The big question I think that everybody asks about this time period is, and, and what, what do you think is the real reason? Why did Hogan and Flair not headline WrestleMania 8? Well, they, they didn't headline WrestleMania because they'd, as soon as Flair arrived, he came in proclaiming himself as a real world champion. Uh, that was the whole NWA storyline. Let's not get into that there, where he appeared on TV with the NWA title belt, which then WCW took WWF to court and got the blah, blah, blah. Let's not go into that. We'll be all day. So they'd had uh, house show matches from Flair's debut. Uh, and basically wrestled in every market at least twice. So McMahon's idea was, that, or his thinking was, was that every paying fan <laughs> who would buy WrestleMania 8 
has already seen this match at least once, possibly twice on a house show. And Vince at that point was big on presenting original matches at WrestleMania. Um, that was something he always wanted to do, or at least a match that had not taken place for a number of years. That was the rule of thumb for Vince at WrestleMania, that he wanted original or matches that people hadn't seen for a long time at each WrestleMania. And his thinking was that everyone who's going to buy this show has already seen Flair versus Hogan. So looking back, they should have really kept Flair away from Hogan. Don't, you know, on screen, I'm sure you remember this, Kenny, or I'm sure you've read about this. Uh, on screen, Flair basically feuded with Roddy Piper when he got there. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know, it's, it's funny, like... Uh... I, I'm fascinated by a lot of 1992 because you look at like uh, WrestleMania 8 and SummerSlam 92 and Survivor Series 92 and all the cards actually in the end did not look anything like what they were originally going to look like, you know? <laughs> just yeah. things. But I think the one thing for me that's kind of selfishly as a fan that I'm glad that Hogan Flair didn't happen is because one of my favourite matches is Savage and Flair from WrestleMania 8 and I think that it would have been a shame to not have that great story that they got, got to tell. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was it was amazing the amount of effort they put into that. And I thought Savage was a real comeback for Savage. I mean, obviously he'd done the Jake, Jake the Snake uh, storyline, which was, you know, with the famous uh, Cobra attack. And that was incredibly intense, that feud there. And then Savage had then moved on to Flair and the Flair was having a, you know, he was having a ball, wasn't he? Saying, you know, she was mine before she was yours. Randy in reference to Elizabeth, of course, who was Savage's real life wife. Um, so, I mean, that was a, you could see they had a lot of fun with that storyline. Um, and it did seem very real. And that was really down to the, to the selling by Savage. Savage really put his heart and soul into that and made people believe that he was genuinely upset by the things Flair was saying and doing. Um, so that was a really good storyline, yeah, absolutely. And obviously, um, SummerSlam '92 is. I think the one regret of mine, well, not the one regret, you know, but like the one of the, the big regrets is that, um, you know, I, I just wasn't in a position, or my mum wasn't in a position where she could take me down to London to SummerSlam '92 because in 1992 that was a big deal to kind of, you know, take your little boy down to London and go to Wembley Stadium and all that sort of stuff. But you were at the stadium, you were at SummerSlam '92. Um, I was, I was there. Yeah, that's right. I'd been doing superstars of wrestling for about eight months at this point. So I was kind of trying to work out what was going in wrestling and learning and, you know, the magazine, I only thought the magazine was going to last about six issues. So the fact it had lasted until the so, so late summer of that year was was a miracle, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was, I remember driving down that day. Uh, the traffic was just really bad. Uh, I went down with a couple of friends who ended up going to the Notting Hill Carnival and I went to the uh, to the old Wembley Stadium to watch the wrestling show. I mean, it was a pretty ropey show. Um, I mean, it was really saved by, I mean, Warrior versus Savage. It was a good match. I don't think it was as good as a lot of people say it was. I mean, it was pretty good. I didn't like the finish, but again, you know, it was done for a reason where Flair and uh, Mr. Perfect were at ringside. Uh, and Savage jumped out of the ring at Flair. Flair whacked Savage with a chair. And that was all done to set up the title change, which they did a couple of nights later at TV taping back in the States. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it was all about David Boy Smith versus Bret Hart for the Intercontinental title. That was the match that went on last in the venue on the Saturday. It took place, WrestleMania took place on the Saturday. 
uh, live, and then it was screened on the Monday uh, on pay-per-view in the States. Uh, to pay-per-viewers in the States, Warrior vs. Savage was presented as the main event, but in the UK, British Bulldog vs. The Hitman was absolutely the main event. And if you go back and watch that show, I mean... What a match that was. Sat Smith versus Hart was just an incredible performance by Hart. An incredible match. You know, one of the most... I mean, it's got to be the best match I've ever seen live. I mean, it was just... And, and such a such a landmark moment and such an uplifting moment as well to be a fan. Um, and I think that... Obviously, you're, you know the wrestling maybe wasn't as great as you would have wanted it to be. What was the atmosphere like? You know, in, you know, SummerSlam has come to the UK. It was, I mean, it, the show was massive. I mean, it was so big, you know, I mean, all the national newspapers were behind it. I mean, it was a major, major event. Um, I mean, it drew like nearly 80, I think it just drew just over 80,000 people. It was 80,355, something like that. But that, it was about 80,000. It was at that point in time, the largest, genuinely the largest audience the company had ever drawn. Obviously, WrestleMania 3, the worked fictional uh, attendance was 93,173, I think it was, but the show actually drew about 78,000. Uh, so WrestleMania uh, was, you know, it was huge and it was always presented, WrestleMania 3 was huge and always presented as the record breaker, but in truth, SummerSlam 92 surpassed that in terms of attendance. The atmosphere for the show, I mean, fans were so into it. I mean, one thing that British fans did back then, and this was actually really annoying at the time, was they would take air horns. And they would, uh, and they would, they would just set the air ons off throughout the show. But that would get the fans really into the match, uh, you know. So I mean, it was it was a the show felt very long on the on the day. Uh, there were some matches that were not shown on the pay per view. Um, there was a lot of matches really weren't that good. I mean, there was a lot of really lousy matches actually on that show, like Undertaker versus Kamala was like dire. You know, I mean, there's like matches like uh, Shawn Michaels uh, versus Rick Martel. I mean, most of the undercard, undercard matches were not the kind of matches that you would want to watch twice. But the main event, that, you know, Smith versus Howe was amazing. And the atmosphere for it was, it was, you know, it was it was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. I mean, I'd, I'd compare it to maybe Goldberg versus Hogan uh, in 98. Uh, I mean, some of Steve Austin's matches... In ninety-eight, ninety-nine, it was up there with that. I mean, may, may, maybe, maybe the atmosphere was even greater than that. I mean, fans were so into it. I mean, you know, Smith was without question the most famous wrestler in the country at that time. Yeah, and, and I think I think what's what's fascinating about it is that you know you have this huge moment of SummerSlam '92 and British Bulldog headlines the show as you said and wins the championship, and then three months later he's gone. That's right, yeah. I mean, it was amazing just to... What was that story like to cover, though? Because, you know, you've started this magazine in January. Yes. Um, you don't know if it's going to go past six issues. Yeah. Then SummerSlams in Wembley Stadium, which wasn't something that you guys knew was going to happen at WrestleMania time, for yeah. sure. Um, and then you've created this, you know, superstar, I guess, and then by November he's gone. That's that's such a huge set of developments to, to cover. It, it Absolutely it was, yeah. I mean, you know... The UK was in the grip of the, you know, WWF was a proper craze. I mean, you know, and it was the the only downside to a craze is that it will burn brightly and then burn out and fade away. So there was a tremendous fear 
for me, 1992, not only will the mag- how long is this magazine going to last, but also how long is this WWF wrestling craze going to last? I mean, are people just going to stop caring? Is it going to be like something that no one will be watching in six months' time? Will Sky drop it? Uh, and of course, it continued because we're still talking about it today in <laughs> 2017, Kenny. But no, we didn't know that at that time. Um, and, and it was that big that there was genuine fear that people might just stop caring. It might end up like gladiators. I mean, do you remember gladiators? I do. I, one I of my t- favorite. Contend already. Exactly. I mean, that was huge as well. And it was just like faded out and it was gone. And there was fear that WWF wrestling could follow that same path. Uh, but you, but as for the question you asked me about David Boy Smith, yeah, it was a very, it was a huge learning curve for me because, um, I'm, you know, I'm learning wrestling. I'm learning the whole magazine business. I'm learning how to write. I'm learning how to cover these stories. And the whole thing with Smith, uh, and the reason why he was fired, uh, was really quite a closely guarded secret at the time. It didn't come out for a while. And he had been purchasing, or Vince McMahon, I should say, Vince McMahon, who at that point had, ins- you know, his WWF was, it was, had instituted a stringent drug testing policy uh, following, you know, the revelations uh, in the Dr. George Zahorian trial of the previous year. I mean, the steroid and sex scandals, uh, WWF was in the grip of them in 1992. So Vince had to get serious about drug testing. And he was serious. And people knew he was serious when he fired the Ultimate Warrior and David Boy Smith, um, I think within the space of a few days, because McMahon believed they were both buying human growth hormone from a doctor somewhere in Europe uh, to circumvent WWE's drug testing policy because HGH at that point was untraceable uh, as far as in, in WWE, uh, sorry, WWF drug tests. So it's a huge story. No one really knew what was going on. Um, and it was all quite hush-hush. I mean, I did a, an interview with David Boy Smith a few months later uh, for Superstars Wrestling when Smith had defected to WCW. Um, and he was really upset about the way it had all gone down. But he didn't disclose to me the real reason why he'd been fired. That actually only came out years later. Do you think had he not been, had he not been fired, do you think he would have gone far? So, do you, do you think that it would have changed anything in terms of the pop, popularity over over in the UK, or would it have got bigger? Like, do you think that there was more to do with him, or would SummerSlam '92? Do you think would still have been the peak for him? Absolutely, would have been the peak. I mean, how, how would you have gone? How could he have topped that? Um, I mean, it's it's difficult to know where Davy would have gone. I mean, he was really pretty much a mid carder in the states. I mean, UK was his territory. Uh, he main evented over here, but seldom main evented in the States. Uh, he was je- usually in the mid card. Um, so I don't know, really. It's hard to say how much more Smith could have brought to the table because, I mean, he wasn't particularly good at promos. Um, as far as character development, I don't know whether you really could have developed Davies' character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he became a heel in 1997 as a member of the Hart Foundation, but he was very much a supporting player at that point to Bret Hart. Uh, and when they came over here, uh, famously for the one night only pay-per-view in September of 1997, Smith was then a babyface. 
Um, mm. He had the famous match with Shawn Michaels in which he lost the European title uh, to Michaels and there was practically a riot. I was there for that match as well. That was a hell of a show. I feel like we could do uh, an entire podcast just on one night only at some point. <laughs> because there's so many interesting parts to that night. Mm. Um, you know, Absolutely. Especially when you've got you know, a dying sister that you... you, you you know, dedicate your match to all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, but to answer your question, I don't think I don't think David Boy Smith as a character, as a personality, was going to develop much more. And I think he would have almost become the equivalent of a nostalgia act after SummerSlam because that was his peak. Um, and ha- you know, after that, he would have been he would have still been popular. He still would have done well over here. But there's no way he could have repeated that success because the moment when he beat heart for the IC title at SummerSlam 92. It was just so perfect. That could never be replicated. Um, and he would go on to WCW and do some tours with them over here and stuff. But in early 93, um, what do you remember about before Hulk Hogan came back? Like, before he was officially coming back? Is it true that WrestleMania 9 was just not selling? As, as you know, as a as a show, because what what I've read in the past is that you know WrestleMania Nine was selling very poorly. There wasn't a lot of interest, and they felt the need to bring Hogan back. What what was the state of the company like at the beginning of '93? So many people have left. Um, what what was the state of the company at that point leading into WrestleMania Nine, and in terms of bringing back Hogan? Yeah, Vince genuinely believed that he needed Hogan for that show uh, because. Bret Hart versus Yokozuna was not going to sell the show. Um, I remember being told by somebody who was close with Hogan at the time. Uh, I mean, obviously Hogan was going to say this because, you know, it, it made him look better. But Hogan was like, you know, he was he was basically saying or told this person I knew that Vince had called him, wanted him back because he needed him for WrestleMania because Mania was not going to be a success without his involvement. But then I guess... Hogan would say that, wouldn't he? Um, not, a good, so, not a good business strategy, really, to say, please come back, it will not be successful without you. Yeah, well, that was the, the gist of it, you know. Was, and I think most people recognise that as well. And I think that is a fair statement, mm-hmm. because, I mean, Bret Hart lost the title to David Boy Smith, the Intercontinental title to David Boy Smith at SummerSlam. Uh, fewer than two months later, October, mid-October, he beat Ric Flair to become WWF Heavyweight Champion. Um, so, I mean... Hart's matches were not doing good business on the road with Bam Bam Bigelow and people like that. I mean, everyone respected Hart, but they didn't see him as a top guy. I mean, he'd been like a mid-card guy for so long that it was really unrealistic to expect Hart to suddenly become an accepted main event guy. I mean, that genuinely takes time. Like we were talking in, in our last podcast about Jinder Mahal. I mean, they've expected him to be... Uh, taken as a credible challenger to Randy Orton in the space of just a few weeks. And it takes time to develop that. Um, so McMahon believed that he needed Hogan. Hogan returned, I believe, it was in February of 1993 on an episode of Monday Night Raw uh, with Brutus Beefcake. And then they did the angle which set up the match with Money Inc. at WrestleMania 9 from Las Vegas. Uh, but Hogan wasn't really, I don't think he was ever really taking it seriously at all at that point. I don't think he really wanted to be there. I mean, he told me in an interview in 1994 that he'd been playing games with the business for years. And, you know, I think he had. I mean, he didn't, I don't think he really wanted to be there. Um, obviously, he'd been 
named in the uh, steroid scandal as a customer of Dr. George Zahorian and Hogan as the big star. He'd taken the heat for it. So he was, you know, that was why he'd left after WrestleMania 8. After the match with Sid Justice at WrestleMania 8 in 1992, Hogan disappeared. You know, I mean, he just didn't want to be in the limelight anymore. And I absolutely understand why. And then he returned February 1993 with a completely different physique, I'm sure you recall, Kenny. I do, I do very much. And um, and, that, and that would be kind of, you know, the, the end of the Hogan era, which would take us into the next one. So I think what we'll do is we'll, we'll kind of leave it here on this one, uh, because we've got, there's so much more we can cover um, on different shows, but different eras of WWE. So we will pick it up um, either next week or the week after, where we'll kind of talk about the, the fallout from that era of WWF with you know Hogan leaving, and then we're definitely going to delve more into your 1994 interview with Hulk Hogan because I am fascinated to hear some stories about that interview. Um, yeah, yeah, he was. I mean, he was so humble. He was. He was actually such a nice guy. Was was Hogan? He really was. Yeah, and I, I, we we will definitely get into that. I do just want to do one quick fan question before we go. Uh, James Wilford uh, messaged the mailbag and said. Um, He's really looking forward to the podcast, but what was the hardest thing that you ever had to report on during the years, either from a practical or emotional point of view? Well, without question, the the, the Benoit tragedy. I mean, it was, um, I mean, that was, I mean, it, you can tell my tone's changed immediately. I mean, that was just such an awful thing uh, on every level. Um, just, and it's something I don't, re- I mean, it's been written about endlessly. I've written about it endlessly. It's been talked about endlessly. I don't know what else there really is to say about it. But, I mean, that was just a really awful time for wrestling. I remember speaking to people in the business at the time, and they were just thinking that, you know, this uh, people were just devastated by what happened. They just couldn't believe. They didn't want to believe at first. Mm-hmm. The uh, initial reaction was shock. And then once they digested the news that this had happened, no one wanted to believe that this guy that they'd respected could have done such a thing. Uh, I think that. I mean, a lot of other deaths as well. I mean, I remember the death of Eddie Gilbert, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, uh, which I believe was in 95, I think he passed away. I remember that one really, really affected me. Uh, that one, I don't know why, but it really did. Uh, Ten years later, Eddie Guerrero, that was another difficult one to cover. Uh, but, that, you know, that's not to to make anyone's who passed away seem less than someone else who's passed away. I mean, all of them were tough uh, to cover. Uh, and just really when we had that epidemic, I think of, I guess it would have been like late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, when we 2002, having, 2003 was terrible. Yeah, we're just having so many drug-related deaths. And it was just, and you're thinking, this is just awful. I mean, this business, how, and, and all these guys going in like the sometimes in the 20s or early 30s. You know, as I said earlier, I'm 47 now, and I feel like I've got a lot of life left in me, Kenny. You're you're younger than Goldust. You're doing fine. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, I feel like I've got a lot of life left in me at 47, and you just think of all these guys that just died so young. What's what's, what's interesting is, like, all these wrestling deaths that happened, you know, the one that got me the most for whatever reason was Randy Savage. Right. That for for I remember working in a call center when somebody texted me and told me, and I had to hang up the call I was on. Couldn't do it. I was like, nope, nope. I for whatever reason, Randy Savage was the one. I was like, not him, not him. But it's funny how just something if you can't really predict that one's going to affect you more than another. But that for for whatever reason, after all the other ones that had happened, Randy Savage was just one that I couldn't 
tick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I, I mean, I do know what you mean. The, the, the thing about this again, you know, not to diminish, the, you know, the impact of this and the loss and everything. And um, the only thing about that one that made that one easier for me, I guess, to to um, to accept than others was it did seem like it was of natural causes. He had a heart attack, didn't he? And he was at least he was in his in his late fifties, I think, when he died. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, at least you know he got to that age. But I mean, just so many of these guys, like Chris Candido, that was a real tough one he kicked the drugs and then he i think he died of was it a blood clot from a serious leg injury yeah. mm -hmm. and that you know a friend of mine died at the age of 21 back in 1992 of a he got a blood clot he suffered a compound fracture of his leg and he got a blood clot and it went on his lung and um he died age 21 and that, i had real flashbacks to that when the the candido death happened so that was you know really really sad but all of them are sad you know yes. um all of them are sad and you know it's it's nice. I think in recent years, it does seem like there's less drug use and there's been fewer deaths. And I hope there is, you know, many fewer deaths than we've had in the past. Uh, and guys are healthier and, and you know, have a good life. Good, uh, you know, they live long lives and they live healthy lives as well. Uh, and, and as pain free as possible. Obviously, wrestling is a very tough business and these guys suffer injuries and stuff. Uh, but to me, that's my my old hope for wrestling is that, you know, I always want, you know, I can't what like, for instance, I find it very difficult to watch a bad injury in wrestling. I don't like watching it because I don't like to think of anyone getting seriously hurt. The said, the one's, the, the said one's the worst. I cannot watch oh, that one. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that was terrible. Yeah, I don't, absolutely awful. I can't watch that either. And the match continued after that. I know, it's wrestling there's nothing else like it um, there is nothing else well, like Fred, it right? we're gonna we're gonna kind of wrap it up here let you let you go um you're currently going now to go on holiday so um last thing where can people find you one more time on twitter if they want to get in touch they can find me at finley martin or at power slam online well finn it has been a pleasure i hope you enjoy your holiday and when you come back we'll we'll dissect the Mahal situation and the fatal five way for payback and uh, for Extreme Rules and see where we're heading for the Great Balls of Fire. I look forward to it, Kenny. Extra, extra tasty, extra good. Like the Life Cuisine Cauliflower Crust Pepperoni Pizza with 18 grams of protein and 4 grams of fiber. It's extra delicious. So go on, be extra. Life Cuisine. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.